1: On today's episode, we have Dr. Katie Friedman, a board-certified pediatrician, writer, spokesperson, and mother. Dr. Friedman completed her residency at Jackson Memorial Hospital at the University of Miami and currently practices pediatric emergency medicine in South Florida. She divides most of her working hours between the emergency room and a blog she created with her sister called foreverfreckled.com, where she serves as an educator and spokesperson. Katie, Dr. Katie, thank you so much for being here today. Oh, of course. Thank you so much for having me. I really
0: am excited about this talk.
1: Yes, it's a it's a very hot topic right now, and you know both of us are moms. And as a parent myself, I like to be educated so I can make the best decisions for my family and my kids. And so I'm so happy you're here today to help educate parents on how they can stay informed with all the newest trends we are seeing with the Delta variant and COVID-19. So I'm very excited to hear your expertise on this. (laughs) Oh, good. You know,
0: I think as a frontliner and and someone that's seeing it, 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 it's a duty of mine to not, I love education outside of pediatric medicine. It's my second passion to be able to help people and educate. That's why we started our website so that I could help parents. Um, So to be able to do this on a larger scale and tell people and educate people through what I'm seeing through my eyes um, is a privilege. So I'm excited to be here and I hope I can be helpful.
1: Exactly. Thank you so much. Well, let's go ahead and get started then. So if you could just take a minute and tell us, and again, I know you're in, in in Florida. I'm in California. I know some things may be different from state to state or country to country. So I get that. I'm not sure who's all listening out there um, to this episode. But what are you currently seeing in the uh, ER? And um are we seeing more children test positive for COVID these days? So I am in
0: South Florida. So, I mean, if I, if you are watching the news, you know that we're in the, you know, we're in a massive surge right now. We're having a lot of uh, problems with hospitalizations and um, a significant amount of people that are being hospitalized for COVID-19. Um, so, yes, in my area, we are seeing a lot of COVID. Um, I think it's important, I tell a lot of people this, is that, you know, the Delta variant is its own new pandemic in itself. Um, it is way more easy, it transmits way e- more easily, um, you know, and so because of that, because of that easy transmittability, it is, um, we are seeing such a massive surge of cases of COVID-19. So in the pediatric emergency room, we are, or I am, definitely testing, seeing more positive cases, seeing more admissions, um, children that are getting more sick from the actual um, the Delta variant itself. Now, whether that is because we are seeing such a much, a much huge, like a much larger volume than we were seeing before. And therefore, when you see a larger volume of patients, you will also see a larger percentage of people that are being hospitalized and, and there, or having morbid morbidity or complications of COVID because you're having a larger volume of people, or if the Delta variant is actually more aggressive in children That will be something that will be studied over time. But we are absolutely seeing more children. We are treating more children. We are hospitalizing more children with
1: COVID-19. Right, right. Oh gosh, that's just, it's, it's scary. You know, I don't, I, I admire what you do because, um, that I think that would be just such a, a hard job emotionally to, to, you know, um, you know, to, to, to work with children and, and, you know, their, their lives are, you know, on the line and it's just, I, I love, um, what you do. So thank you for being on the front line and helping all those children and, and being for, being there for them. Um, it's, it's amazing. You are definitely a hero in my eyes. So thank you (laughs) you. you. for what you do. Now, let me ask you this: What are you know the difference in kids being admitted to the R? Is it based on age, maybe, or a pre-existing condition? Are you seeing any correlations with some of that now? Of kind of what age group you're seeing the most of, and whatnot? So, you know, I'm seeing all different
0: people. Always ask me ask me this question because they want to know: like, is my kid at a higher risk? What should I be like? Should I be worried? And the, the the answer is is like there are specific. You know, if your child has a pre-existing medical condition, such as asthma, diabetes, or a complex medical history, they are going to be in an increased risk for developing complications of COVID-19, similar to adults like hypertension, um, pre-existing medical conditions. But we are seeing all sorts of children of different age groups that are healthy, that do not have pre-existing medical conditions, that are getting COVID-19, and that are, you know, are being becoming hospitalized. Um, you know, what I'm finding in my personal clinical experience, and this is me and my hospital and, um, as you know, a pediatric emergency room doctor, I'm seeing an older age group, like 10 to 17 that are, are kind of suffering a little bit more with the symptoms of COVID-19 they're becoming, they're having really bad body aches. We're actually seeing a lot of GI symptoms. Um, you know, that hypoxia, the COVID pneumonia, um, in that, um, older age group. Um, but again, I, I, know plenty of hospitals that are hospitalizing children that are much younger as well. Um, so, you know, there's really no bucket that we can put our kids in to say that if my child has this, or if my child's this age group, then, you know, I don't have to worry. I do have to worry. You know, it's something that affects all children. We don't know who it's going to affect and how it's going to affect them. So it's important that we always take that into consideration. The other thing that I'm seeing a lot right now, or that I'm, we're starting to see, is missed, and I don't know if people know what that is. I know that there was discussions of it earlier on in the pandemic because we saw some, some cases earlier in the pandemic. But basically, it's a post-viral syndrome where um, children have like pan-inflammation, which means inflammation throughout their whole entire body, all of their organ systems, and it happens about three to four weeks out of the virus itself, um, and they start to develop abdominal pain, vomiting, severe headache, body rash, joint pain, um, conjunctivitis. And they get some swelling of all of their organ systems, including their heart and their lungs. So we are seeing complications of that as well. So right now we're kind of fighting the surge of patients that are being admitted due to acute um, COVID-19 and, and uh, COVID pneumonia. And we're also seeing kids that are having this post-viral syndrome Miss that we're also admitting. So we're kind of dealing with all that at the same time and navigating that.
1: Oh, gosh, goodness. Yeah, there's a lot going on out there. And I think you had mentioned to me earlier that you're also seeing some other uh, respiratory type things like croup and RSV. Is that correct?
0: Yes. And I think it's, I'm so glad that you brought that up because, um, you know, I think people think, or they tend to think as as, as parents, as we do is like, what is the problem right in front of us, right? Like, is my kid going to get COVID-19? Are they going to have pneumonia? Are they going to, um, you know, need an admission? And the reality is, is that Although we are admitting more children, you know, the risk of getting complications from COVID-19 in the pediatric population still remains low. Thank God. Yes. Um, But what's happening is because we're seeing so much COVID and because we're seeing so many other respiratory viruses, such as RSV, um, you know, croup. Uh, adenovirus we're seeing a lot of viruses right now and treating a lot of viruses and those also require hospitalization so it's putting a strain on the hospital system and we're we're becoming the volume as the volume increases and the bed space becomes less then we aren't as able to as effectively you know treat and and help parents the way that we want to.
1: Right, right. Yeah, there definitely seems to be a lot of going around. My kids just started school uh, about two weeks ago, and I've just already seen such a surge, even in our area in Southern California, of all sorts of things, all sorts of different viruses, like you mentioned. So, um, but what symptoms should a parent look for if their child gets sick? Um, Is the symptoms different in COVID-19 that you're seeing with children versus adults? Um, And what should they look for?
0: You know, it's it's a really, I, I probably, this is probably the most common question I get. Like, how do I know if it's cold versus COVID? How do I know it's the flu? And unfortunately, the reality is, is we really don't know. Like COVID-19 has, it presents very differently with, within different within different children. So some children are completely asymptomatic, which is dangerous all in itself because then they can spread it without knowing. Um, they can have a, a, a cough and a fever. They can have body ache. I, I treated a child the other day that just had vomiting and um, a fever and they came back positive for COVID. So there's not, it's not, it, there's not, there are classic symptoms, which include fever, body ache, cough, sore throat. Um, but unfortunately, there's not enough of a distinction between that of cold or and influenza that I could say to you, if your child has X, then they have COVID. If they have why, you need to test them for COVID because the reality is, is that they all kind of present in a very similar way. And I'm also, what we're seeing is that children are coming back positive for two viruses. Mm. So just because you have, let's say RSV doesn't mean that you can't also have COVID. Um, right. And so we are seeing that as well. So it's just important that if your child is displaying any symptoms that you have them tested. And I know it's frustrating. My little sister had to test her son probably four times in the last two months because similar to you, she went back to school and now all the kids are sick with different symptoms. And similar to you, her son also had croup, but we need to confirm that and make sure that it's not also and or that they're suffering from COVID so that we're protecting the classroom because- you know what our ultimate goal is as parents. I hope, or at least mine is, is to keep my kids in school as long as I possibly can. We have found and we know that it is not good for our children mentally to be out of the classroom. Some of us can withstand it, and that's great. But children are always going to do better in the classroom, socially, academically, developmentally. So our all goal as a community should should be to try to keep these schools open. And to do take the preventative measures that we can in order to keep them open. And to do that, we need, you know, mitigation risk, masks, social distancing, washing our hands and testing children that have symptoms early on so that we can identify them and, and, you know, eliminate that risk for the rest of the classroom.
1: Yes, I 100% agree with that. And it's interesting that you say that. I'm glad you said that because I feel like these days, it's so different than it was two years ago, obviously. And I'm, I'm actually glad we're in this spot, Um, to, and, and I'll explain that in a second, because you know, I feel like when kids were sick before, you know, and had a cold or whatever the case is, they, they would go to school with the sniffles, you know, and they would go here and there. And you could obviously tell they were sick with something, you know, and they would go out. But now I feel like the second a child has any symptom, like you said, they're asked to stay home. And that's how it should have been all along, I feel like, because, you know, things would spread, you know two years ago, just as they, you know, like let's say flu and, and cold and whatnot. Um, but now I feel like parents are maybe taking it more seriously that if their child, even if it is just a cold, um, that they still stay home, that you just still don't send them to school with a stuffy nose or a runny nose and a cough, you know. Um, and obviously the mask will help that too. Because I feel like these days as a parent, I don't know if you feel the same way, but I feel like a cold isn't just a cold anymore or a cough isn't just a cough or a fever isn't just a fever. Like I feel like, at least in my mind as a parent, the second my child has any symptom, I go right to (laughs) COVID-19, you know? Of course. I I mean, that's
0: why the ERs are packed. You know, that's why we are. are, And and I think that that's, that's, that's a positive thing. I agree with you that that's a positive thing. And, you know, there always is that argument, like you hear it in the media, like, well, our kids didn't wear masks, you know, to prevent the flu. And this is similar to the flu. It's one, it is 100% not similar to the flu and a multitude of different reasons. But one of the biggest reasons is that it is dangerous to other people. And so they are now taking that virus that maybe might, they might do fine with, maybe they won't, but maybe they will and they're passing it on to somebody that might not do fine with it and an adult that is a high risk adult that might end up in the ER that might be end up intubated and that might die from covid-19 so we are not dealing with the same beast that we as influenza and i would even say to you guys that delta is not the same pandemic that it was before. This is a different, this is a different virus. It is way, it is as contagious as chickenpox. And we need to take that into consideration. So when we say, oh, well, we, our kids didn't wear masks be- during flu season, you know, all these many years, this is not the flu. It is way more dangerous and it can affect, a. it's affecting way more people. And we need to take that into consideration and we need to be aware that of our teacher, of the, of the principal, of the assistant principal, of the PE coach, of their grandparents, of their loved ones, because by wearing a mask and doing the things that we need to do to mitigate that risk, you're not only protecting your child, but you're protecting the community. And it's really important that we try our best to understand that. And I think that there might be a little lapse there and like that type of like absorbing that particular concept, but it's not only about our own children, but it's also about our, our child's best friend's grandparent, our, our teacher's, um, you know, nanny, whoever it is that is around, we need to take that into consideration. And I just think it's important that we start thinking more about the community and what we need to do to keep these kids in school because when push comes to the shove, they, they're the ones that are suffering the, mo- the most. Like Maybe they're not the most at risk for the physical you know, um, comorbidities or the complications of COVID-19, but they're taking the brunt of this for us. They are the ones that are sitting home in front of a computer, not with their friends, not having their play dates, not having their birthday parties, not being able to create the memories that they you know, long to create. And, and the way for us to push through this and to get to the other side is to do the things that we know work. In order to prevent the transmission of this virus.
1: Yes, exactly. I I just love, I mean, everything you post on Instagram um, Mm -hmm. and you did an IG live last week with your sister. um, I just resonate with your post so much because I I just, I feel like there's just things we can do as parents um, to take as many precautions as possible. You know, we mentioned wearing a mask, you know, and that, um, you know, there's obviously a lot of debate out there on mask wearing and if it really works and what kind of mask, you know, you should have in this and that. And I don't know if you want to necessarily dwell on the details of it, um, but we do know that, and, and you can confirm this, that, you know, in the research I've done, like I said, it's all about education and the research I've done is that wearing a mask will help um, some of the prevention of, like I said, protecting yourself and protecting others. Um, and if you want to explain a little more about that, sure. you know, on that, that'd be great. And then any other safety precautions, you know, as kids are going back to school, as people are going back to work, et cetera, what are, besides mask wearing, um, what are some other safety precautions parents can take when sending their kids to school?
0: So, you know, we, it's funny because I always, I, it's funny to me that there's this big debate of whether masks work or not. We've been utilizing masks since the beginning time in medicine. If you look at the Spanish influenza, like you'll see women in in cloth masks, like, it's been something that we've utilized in the hospital for respiratory viruses, precautions um, forever. We know that masks work. They've been studied. It's a ba- is it the only most effective way to prevent the spread of COVID-19? No. But it is similar to the way I like the analogy I like to give. It's like when you're in your car and you're going on the highway with an infant, that child has, is in a car seat. They're in a harness. They have, um, you know, you guys have airbags. There's all sorts of safety devices that work together to keep your child safe. And this is very similar. We're not relying on one type of safety method in order to prevent COVID-19. Is it as effective as you, as me being in an N95? No, but in the same, but it does, it provides protection against respiratory droplets, which is one of the main modalities of transmission of COVID-19. And so children by nature, and I'm, I'm not even only talking about COVID, I'm talking about flu. I'm talking about RSV, influenza our children touch their face and our adults for that matter, 16 to 24 times in an hour. So when you are wearing a mask, your child who might've coughed or, or, you know, the way that it's transmitted is if your child, let's say has our, uh, let's say has COVID and they're talking and they're yelling and they're coughing. Not only does it go through the aerosol, but it also has respiratory droplets and those respiratory droplets can fly onto their teacher and they can get it that way. Or it can go onto a surface. You touch that surface then, or Billy then touches that surface and wipes his nose or brings his hand to his face when he's eating an apple, and all of a sudden, he has it as well. So by wearing a mask, you're eliminating or you're significantly decreasing that mode of transmission. And that's really incredibly helpful and effective in trying to prevent the transmission of COVID-19. Is it 100% effective? No, but we know that these children have been in school all year last year and the transmission rate was relatively low. Now we have all sorts of virus going on. We have, you know, RSV and COVID and, and, um, croup and, and, you know, that also happened when the mask mandates came down and children started, it's not only about masks, but children started, you know, playing indoors and gathering and traveling and in cars and all of that has added to this massive surge of not only COVID-19, but the viruses as well.
1: Right. Yeah. And I, I, we've definitely seen it here. I mean, we've seen I mean, again, school's only been been in for two weeks, and we've already seen um, positive, multiple positive cases. We've seen classrooms being shut down, you know, quarantining for 10 days at home. I mean, I, I feel like left and right, I'm always getting a, a, a note from one of my clients or a neighbor or a friend or a classmate or someone from one of my kids' schools saying that, you know, it's for a positive test of COVID-19 or, like you said, one of these other viruses, and, you know, it's, it's so hard. I feel like as a parent, you know, to, for that cost benefit analysis of how 100%. to protect ourselves and our families, I don't want to live in a bubble and live in fear, 100%. you know, but I'm concerned. So and I think as parents, you have to ask yourself, am I doing
0: everything I possibly can to protect my child as, as a mother and as a physician, I'm doing everything everything. If a doctor tells me that a mask is going to work 20%, it's 20% effective. I'm wearing that mask. If a doctor is telling me to wash my hands for 20 seconds to eliminate germs, I'm washing my hands. Like as a parent, not even as a pediatrician, I'm going to do whatever it takes to not only protect my children physically, but also protect them mentally. And I think that's a lot of times what we kind of eliminate out of the equation when people don't want to wear masks is like we want the schools to stay open. We want our, school, our kids to be in school and learning because that's not only better, that is good for them, as I had mentioned before, academically, socially, developmentally. But if we do not take the safety precautions and the mitigation strategies that have been put out and studied by physicians and scientists, that's not going to happen. So maybe your child doesn't come home with COVID, but maybe your child is unable to go back to class for 10 days because they're quarantining. Right. Right. So it's all, it all goes together. There's multiple pieces of the puzzle that we have to start thinking about instead of only thinking about one, one scenario. It's also about, again, the community and keeping the schools open. And what we don't want to do, you know, is get to a point. And I know that I'm sure you've heard of multiple schools and I can tell you, I have schools in my own neighborhood that didn't have a mask mandate, started classes. And now all of a sudden they have Children in the ICU, they have teachers that are sick, they've had to shut down classes, they had 20 positive cases last week, and all these kids are quarantining. And that's loss of education. These, this is a loss of education for these children. It's not only about the illness, but it's also about their loss as as, as a child, their they're right to their friends, their right to their memories, their right to the classes, the right to. In-house, in-person learning, like we're also taking that away from them when we as adults and we are their role models are not, you know, are not doing everything that we possibly can to keep the environment as safe as possible.
1: Yes. And and I want to go more on that. But you brought something up that I wanted to address. And I don't know if you're seeing this in Florida or not. I know I'm seeing it here in Southern California. Well, there are actual parent protesters that are out there with signs saying, you know, let our kids smile, let our kids breathe, you know, and they're adamantly against Children not wearing masks, knowing that these kids aren't even old enough to get the vaccine because uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it's 12 and 12 and over that are eligible for the vaccine. And so anyone, you know, under that age is not even eligible to take it or you know to have it even if they wanted to. Um, so. You know, but if we if we know there's even a five percent chance that <laughs> it will help right. some of the spread, you know, I'm just the the magnitude of some of these protesters saying, you know, adamantly saying for kids not to wear masks and are saying, I want, I'm not sending my kid to a private school or so, I'm sorry, I'm not going to send my kid to a public school because out here, at least they require masks. You know but what they're going to find, unfortunately, is that the that that at
0: least from what I'm seeing that most of these schools, even if they start without a math mandate are inevitably going to need to put in a mass mandate because there's such a high transmission rate. And so, you know, I, I think passion is such a beautiful thing and it can motivate us to do great things and follow our dreams. But I also think that there's, you know, when we are so passionate about something, sometimes it closes our door of education and absorbing information that maybe we do need to hear right like yes. we're so passionate about it that we're willing to go to bat for it and 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 so anything that anybody says we don't want to absorb like i can't tell you how many people have said show me the science show me the science i'm like i am showing you the science but they don't want to absorb or they want they don't want to absorb it because they feel the, as strongly as they do about what they're what they feel and we have to respect that but i think the way to fight that or to is just through education, what we're doing right now, just trying to talk it out. And people that are on the fence and people that are thinking about it and people that are, are not sure are here to listen and to absorb. And that's the best thing we can do. Whether we're making a decision on what our child is eating, what our child, what school our child is going to, think about how much preparation you went into to like bring your child home from the hospital, how many books you read, how much what registry you should get, what food you should be giving, should you be breastfeeding, should you be bottle feeding, what bottles you should have. And then when we're talking about something as important as this, people need to educate themselves. They need to want to absorb education in every facet that they can find, and they need to find it in resources that are credible. You can find it. Anybody can sit on a platform and say, I read this article. But what does that mean? Anyone can say, I, this study states... But do we really understand that study? There has to meet certain criteria for something to be clinically significant, for a study to actually mean something. And I think when people say, I read this study or this study says, it can be dangerous in the sense that we don't know the validity of that study. You want to be getting your information like, I, you know, I am not an accountant, like you do not want to come to me to help you with your, you know, your taxes and, 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 you know, your financial, uh, you know, your finance, your finances, I couldn't help you. Like, that's not where my strength is, but pediatric health and safety and medicine, that's what I dedicated my whole life to. So that's what I know. That's what I've spent years studying and, and, and treating and preventative medicine and when we go and we get that information we just have to make sure that we're getting it through the right source and that we're that we're that we're absorbing the education the knowledge from the right people and that we're willing to learn i think it's so important that people take the initiative to learn and be willing to absorb information and see it from a different standpoint because i know i do even as even as a physician even knowing the science work i want to know why that person's scared about a mask like what does that person you know why does that person have a fear of a vaccine? Because when I can learn their fear, then I can help move them through that fear. But if we're unwilling to learn and we're unwilling to listen to others, it becomes, you know, exactly what you're saying, a world of like, let's protest against masks, for mask mandates, not mandates, you know, vaccines, not vaccines. And it doesn't really become about the children anymore. It really just becomes about the argument.
1: Yeah that's wow that's such a powerful way to say it and I I definitely agree with you and as you and I have both talked about I've seen it in some of your some of your um posts as well is you know it has become more of a political issue or um an issue of you know freedom of of speech or freedom of, of choice and things like that um, but like you said, it kind of differs from, you know, what we're looking at and like what we're talking about today is how to protect our families and how to protect our children. And um, it's interesting. I was getting my nails done a few weeks ago um, and, you know, the, the nail place had a mandate that in our nail salon you have to wear a mask because we're, mm-hmm. you know, close quarters, et cetera. And so I'm in there with my daughter. We both had our masks on. We're getting our nails done and you know this person walks in and you know asked to get their nails done and they said, "Well, you know, we have a, a mask for you if you don't have one, but you know, that's our policy that you wear a mask and They said, well, I'm vaccinated, so I don't have to wear a mask indoors. Mm -hmm. And they said, well, I understand that, but our policy is still, you know, vaccinated or unvaccinated. You still need to wear a mask if you want service from us today. That's just our policy for our own safety and for the safety of our, our people, you know, that come in here for us. And the person walked out and said, no, thank you. I'll go somewhere else. <laughs> so. and, that, and that's fine. That's their choice.
0: I think that that, you know, they have the right to make that decision. If they feel like they vaccinated themselves and they felt like they gave them that to protection and they don't want to have to wear a mask, then they have the right to leave similar to that, that nail salon has the right to say, nobody's allowed in this facility without a mask on, you know, th- those are the choices that we make. Um, but I would say that even me, I am, you know, I'm in the ER, obviously I was one of the first people to be vaccinated. I wear my mask. I wear my mask when I'm in, this, like, if, if I am going into a nail salon, if I am going into a grocery store, if I am going into my child's school, I am wearing a mask. Why? Because there's still some small percentage of a chance that I can still have it and transmit it to somebody else, even if I'm not clinically sick from it. And I owe it to my community. To do that for them, like I don't want to pass it on to somebody. I don't want to ever feel the guilt of somebody getting COVID nineteen from me and their grandmother dying from it. Like I have a responsibility as a citizen, as a physician, as a mother, for to care about other people the way that I care about my own children and want for other people's grandparents what I want for my grandparents. And I think that sometimes that gets lost, and so. You know, if you're in an area and you don't know that other people, what their vaccine status is, put on a mask. Like it's really, you know, you it's not only a safety mechanism for you, although yes, you have a significant um, different level of protection because you are vaccinated versus the person next to you that is unvaccinated, but it's still a message to the other person that I care about you too. You're still right. telling the people around you, I care about you. I care about your family. I care about your family's health. Like, you know, it, it's a way for us to prevent the spread. So I'm all in. Even though I'm vaccinated, if I go into a store, if I go into a nail salon, if I go anywhere where there, I do not know the vaccine status of other people and I don't know what they want and what they don't want, I always wear my mask to protect myself, but to also protect the people around me.
1: Yes. And I think, like you said, we're seeing a whole different, and I do too. I I just want to mention that. But, um, you know, we're seeing, you know, obviously the Delta variant is, is, um, such a different virus that we saw over the last year. You know, it's a whole nother animal in itself. Um, you know, but I've heard parents say on that note, and then we'll move on, but I've heard parents, some, some parents say something like, well, I'm vaccinated and my spouse is vaccinated and their children are too young to get vaccinated. Mm -hmm. Um, but therefore we don't need to, You know, let's say wear a mask anymore or whatever, or they say that their kids don't even need to wear a mask because COVID doesn't affect kids. I've heard that so many times of, well, the adults are vaccinated in the home. And since COVID doesn't really affect kids the same way as it affects adults, like they don't really have their kids wear their mask either, whether in the grocery store or whatnot. Do you have any like thoughts on that? Or um, again, I I I would say. I would say kudos to any family who the parents are vaccinated.
0: You are you are taking a step to protect not only yourself, but protect your children. This virus is very unpredictable. We do not know how it is going to affect anybody that gets that it gets into their, you know, into their body. So I would give them a congratulations that they took the step and got vaccinated. What I would say is that, you know. You can still transmit it. There are breakthrough cases. It is significantly less than if you weren't vaccinated, but that risk is still there. And children are getting sick from this. And you know, we are seeing so just pure volume alone, because we're seeing so many kids that are getting COVID-19. We are seeing an increased surge of kids that are being hospitalized with COVID-19 and/or the complications of COVID-19, including MISC. Like our like our hospitals are full. You know we, we we our hospital beds are full. And so you know, it's important to mitigate as much risk as you possibly can by also keeping your sanity, right. So the small things that we can do to protect our family and keep our kids safe, we should be trying to do. Um, I always say that like for me in particular, I always have this like um, pendulum of safety versus sanity because mm-hmm. I think it's important to keep our kids' mental, sanity, on the first and foremost on our minds as well as their physical health. So, you know, once that one, once, you know, one starts to trump the other, I try to bring them back into balance. And how do I bring them back into balance? By picking as activities that are as low risk as possible outside, um, you know, if they're inside, they're wearing a mask and they know that, Um, you know, I, I, instead of doing, um, a closed confined space with lots of people, we might choose to do an outdoor movie, um, we fishing or tennis or things that are outdoors so that we're preventing that or significantly decreasing that risk. And, you know, those are the things that we can do as a parent that, that allows us to try to keep our kids sanity while also trying to put their, their safety as a top priority. So what I would say is that if you are vaccinated and your children are not able or eligible to be vaccinated, consider that because once we, you know, once your kids have it, we don't know how it's going to respond. It's not only about the actual virus itself and getting hypoxia and needing to be intubated. There's a huge surge of children that have long hauling syndrome where all of a sudden they have fogginess, fatigue, you know, difficulty breathing, shortness of breath. It's also, you know, that child that becomes, you know, my first COVID patient was a patient that had very minimal symptoms, like a little bit of chest pain and a cough. He was saturating completely fine, which means his oxygen levels were great. But he had become an orphan that day because his only parent died of COVID-19 three days previously. You know, are they losing a grandparent from this? Do they ever feel the guilt that they had COVID and they gave it to their grandparent and their grandparent died? Like, it's not a, it's not such a simple virus anymore. We're not dealing with something simple. We're dealing with something very complex. So what I would say just from you know, the eyes in, from a doctor that's seeing it, you don't want to wait until all the drama is there and you're dealing with so much stress because you didn't believe or didn't do the things that you could do to protect you and your family. If you're feeling you know, insecure about getting a vaccine or you're scared about getting a vaccine, you don't understand masks or why they work. Go to a resource that is a valid resource. Start with your doctor and have an open conversation with them about it. Talk to them about your fears and what you're experiencing and let them try to help you through it. And if you don't get what you need, go to somebody else. There are so many amazing people out on social media right now talking about COVID and how these things work and how vaccines work and how they aren't dangerous and and, the, the actual physiology behind them and just incredible incredible resources on, on all sorts of social media platforms, um, to work through those types of things and just educate yourself and root yourself in, in, in knowledge so that you can make it the best decision for you and your family.
1: Yes, exactly. Uh, I mean, you, have said it all so beautifully and I, I, I mean, I've learned a lot from you. <laughs> <laughs> And I hope everyone listening has, you know, also been able to, like you said, um, educate themselves by listening and learning and being open to, um, you know, the knowledge that you have and your expertise and what you're seeing in real life in the ER, in a pediatric ER. So I have no reason to lie. I have no reason. I know I have no political affiliation. I have
0: no reason to pretend that it's something that it's not. I think it's important that people understand what the trends are. They are trending upward. Children are getting COVID more frequently. We are seeing more admissions. We are seeing more complications. And it's important that we get ahead of it and that we acknowledge it and know that it's out there and, and you know, try to do everything that we can to stop the
1: transmission. Exactly. One last question, and then we're going to just, you know, ask where everyone can find you to get more information. But my last question is, is now that we're going into cold and flu season, again? I know we're seeing a lot of things a little earlier this year, um, but as we're going into cold and flu season, we're going to be maybe seeing possibly some more illnesses, you know, throughout the winter. Um, Any, any advice? I mean, as a parent myself, I'm a little scared. I almost want to pull my kids out of school and just go back to my little quarantine bubble because I feel like it was just safe there because everything seems so. Is that an option? I don't, that's not even an option, for us. I know. I know. And, and my, my daughter's loving being back in school and I don't want to take that away from her, but as a parent, I worry and I'm, I'm stressed because I think, well, I want to protect my kids, but I feel like even sending them to school sometimes feels scary to me because I think what, what could they, you know, get there? So any advice for parents as we're going sure. into cold and flu season and obviously, you know, the Delta variant is still very prominent and whatnot, especially in kids these days, um, of just to, um, you know, maybe ease some of that worry for parents or just, you know, for precautions they can take as we go into the season? So I would say a few
0: things. One, by as I had mentioned before, by vaccinating yourself, if your children are not old enough to be vaccinated, by vaccinating yourself, you're eliminating at least a a layer of of concern um, for your children. So you are protecting your child by you yourself getting vaccinated. I would say that... um, you know, highly consider getting the flu vaccine this year. I got my children. I don't get my children the flu vaccine every single year. I see what the trend is from, you know, from, cause you can see the trends from um, Australia. And I tend to look at that and see what kind of flu season we're having or we're going to have, but I would highly consider it. And I would highly consider getting it early on in the, um, in the, in the season um, so that you can avoid that, or at least try to eliminate that stressor on your plate um, and add that extra protection of, uh, influenza, uh, obviously wearing a mask and finding the best possible mask for your, for your child. I just ordered K and 95s for my kids, but you know, we have a blog. I think I wrote, I recently wrote a blog on the best masks for children or my sister did. Um, and you know, teaching your children good hand washing. So it's really 20 seconds. They have to sing the birthday song or the alphabet to get a true effective hand wash. Um, You know, I strongly believe in vitamin supplementation. I love um, elderberry, vitamin C, zinc, Um, you know, especially if your child doesn't have a great, well-balanced diet, which most kids don't. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And don't underestimate the importance of good sleep hygiene. Um, Immunity is linked to how much sleep we're getting. It just is. So when we're run down, we're more likely to get sick. So just making sure your kids have the adequate amount of sleep at night and that you're you know getting them outside, exercising, healthy diet, good vitamin supplementation, hand washing, mitigating your risk as much as possible while keeping their sanity. And when the vaccine becomes available to you or your children, highly consider it. I'm not here to push anyone into getting a vaccine. That's not what I'm here to do. But you know, just what I would urge people to do is to educate themselves about it. Ask the questions if you're on, you know, if you're thinking about it or you're, not thinking about it, challenge yourself to go to your pediatrician and or your in your your own doctor and start to ask the questions because, you know, it does save lives. I mean, in our hospital alone, right now, this is a jarring statistic. 98.9% of the people that are hospitalized in my hospital right now are unvaccinated. Think about that. If that's if that's not enough to, you know, make people think, oh, my gosh, like it's an insurance policy it's allowing you to stay out of the hospital. And to so me, in this world with what we're dealing with, I'm taking it. <laughs>
1: yes. Yes. I, I have too. I, I'm, I'm vaccinated and, and, and my, and my husband is as well. And, um, I've, I've definitely seen that trend out here. I didn't, I, I didn't, know those numbers. I mean, that's staggering. That's um, in my hospital. Okay. Yeah. There,
0: I mean, and throughout all the media outlets, they're saying that, you know, over 95% of the people that are currently being hospitalized are unvaccinated people between the age of 20 and 50. So that's also important to know. I mean, I know earlier on this pandemic this was a pandemic of you know the nursing home and the older generation and the people that were more vulnerable but that's not what we're seeing right now this is a different virus it is in my opinion it's a pandemic of the unvaccinated and it's between about 30 and 50 we're seeing a huge surge of patients that are coming in that are you know really suffering with COVID-19 so it's definitely something I want people to consider
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. Dr. Katie, (laughs) I am just blown away by the knowledge that um, I've learned from you today. And I know so many people are going to benefit from um, what you've shared today. So thank you. Where can people find you to find more information or to be in touch with you?
0: Yeah. So we are super... I'm I'm one of three sisters. My twin sister is a veterinarian, actually. So she does a lot of pet advice. And I obviously do a lot of pediatric advice. And my little sister is like the product guru of the world. like She can pick out any product that you need. Um, mom, fashion, whatever you need. Like I go to her for anything, that, <laughs> any problem I have, like she's got the solution for me. Um, and we live on forever freckled blog. The best way to get in touch with us is our Instagram at forever freckled blog. We do a bunch of stories. I do a bunch of lives. People DM me all the time. It's like a full-time job because people DM me all the time about questions that they have. And that's really what we want to be as a resource, especially during this time frame. We can't all get in touch with our pediatrician or our veterinarian. And we have a quick question. It can't be. Obviously, specific medical advice, but you know sometimes we have a question about breastfeeding or what bottle to use, and we're there to help that out and sort that out. Um, and then, of course, we have our website foreverfreckle.com. Um, and we're on Facebook too so we're here for you join our family I love always it it's always good to have a pediatrician and a veterinarian in your family yes.
1: Yeah? Yes. <laughs> absolutely <laughs> absolutely well I love following you I've, I've known you for years and I just absolutely admire the work you do and the work that you and your sisters do collaboratively and um, thank you again for being on the show today and thank thanks you. for sharing everything you did
0: <laughs> we'll have to do it again we'll have to do
1: like a live on Instagram or yes yes we after. definitely have to follow up with that because I know there's so many more questions I didn't even get to yet so we'll definitely have to. To do that too.
0: <laughs> if you have any questions, you can always DM either Kim or me, and I can always try to help navigate you, like navigate through it. And if anyone is on the fence and they are thinking about things and they want me to walk it through with them, like feel free to DM us. We honestly, that's what I'm here to do. I'm a resource for people. So, you know, if you guys need us, we're always here.
1: Oh, that's amazing. Thank you so much, Dr. Katie. Have a great day.
0: You too. Have a good, good holiday weekend. Stay you safe. Too. Bye. Bye. Take care.
1: Thank you for joining us today. I can't wait to have you back for more. Make sure to subscribe to the Parentologist Podcast so you don't miss an episode. And make sure to tell your friends. This podcast is not intended to be a replacement for therapy. If you or someone you know is in crisis, please call 911.